The human body, demurring to death, is never pretty. Rigor mortis had long ago set in and receded. Great gouts of seeping fluid, taking the place of the muscle fibers, which had ratcheted shorter and shorter until fully contracted, eventually succumbing to the swell of decomposition. Oh, fuck me in the ass. She is oozing all over a real Persian rug, Morno. What a waste. The buxom bane of my existence hitched up her slacks and crouched next to the putrefying body. I gnawed on my unlit cigar, still unaccustomed to the foul epithets that consistently slide from between the pretty lips of my secretary come assistant, come stalker. Six months ago, Carla Danning sauntered into my life, all tits, temperament, and testicular torture, and she's been an infective spewing shackle around my tackle ever since. Also, I have reason to believe that is not the name she was given at birth. But let me introduce myself before we go any further. My name is D-Clan Morneau, Dex for short. If I look in the mirror, what stares back is a long-haired heap of sinew and gristle with too few clients and too much drinking time on his hands. He's comfortable in his own skin, uncomfortable around anyone else's. Tired, apathetic, and generally resigned to both due to his propensity toward circumspection. As a consequence of the aforementioned lack of clients, I supplement my private detective work as a process server. From as far back as I can remember, I've had this weird quirk where I see people and emotions in color. I have no idea why, and frankly, I don't care. Sometimes it helps me figure people out. Sometimes it just confuses things. This is the Morno Podcast. Narrated by Greg Kreitz. And Jenny Decker. This podcast contains adult themes and language, as you just learned within the first 30 seconds. We probably could have put this warning before that, but... That's really not how we roll around here, so buckle up, Buttercup. Enjoy the ride. I squatted down next to Carla, my knees and ankles popping a painful symphony of regret. Carla fingered the knots at the base of the tassels running along the edge of the rug. Look, you see those inconsistencies? Those are hand-knotted, for sure. And that fringe is not fixed with machine stitches. That's the thing. Carla's smart, which is why I grudgingly agreed to hire her, despite the fact that I'd taken out two restraining orders on her in the past six months. Restraining orders that had nothing to do with the questions I now have about her past. The restraining orders had been much like spraying raid at a scurrying cockroach. You know it isn't going to do much but at least you're making an effort to establish some boundaries. The heavy feet clomping through the front door are going to belong to Sergeant Lash, a squat spark plug of a man, weeks from retirement. Lash is all meat, with a bulldog square jaw, cleft chin, and a bald head. He and I will go through the standard, how'd you get in, Morneau? Followed by my typical response, door was open, Sarge. Had a lead on a client. Landed me here. 
If I get hired to track someone down and they're dead when I find them, I like to check things out before the cops come in and make my life more difficult. I have my job to do just like them. So I do it. Then I call it in. Crime scene's on the way. I placed both hands on my knees and stood, my joints repeating their earlier protest. Carla took the opportunity to stick her tongue in my ear while both officers had their backs to us. I batted her away and continued to scan the room. The homicide in question was a foregone conclusion, considering the knife embedded in the neck of the bloated body with its blade buried to the hilt. When pondering suicide, pretty young ladies rarely take a kitchen knife to their own neck. If options like razor blades, pills, and all manner of household chemicals are available. A cursory check of the tiny house had revealed razors in the bathroom, plenty of prescription sleeping pills and antidepressants in the medicine cabinet, two boxes of rat poison, and enough lilac-scented fabuloso under the kitchen sink to take down a water buffalo, should the need have arisen. I'd received the call two days earlier. A concerned woman wanted me to check into the disappearance of a cousin she'd expected to hear from a few days ago, but hadn't. The woman said she thought her cousin had gotten in over her head with something, but she had no idea what that was. Just a feeling she had. Forty-eight hours and a few background checks later, Carla and I found ourselves at the residence of one Ward Deckard, the owner of the house we now occupied. Crystal Bell is the name of the woman liquefying on the floor nearby. So far, I had ascertained that Mrs. Bell worked as an independent contractor for Deckard's cleaning company. Their personal relationship was still in question, though it might prove difficult to determine since Ward Deckard was presently in the hospital hooked up to all manner of life support devices, having succumbed to a massive stroke one week ago. Cavalry is on its way, Marnot. Finish getting what you need and head out. He gave me a bit of latitude at crime scenes, but from what I've heard, his replacement won't be so easily managed. Carla bent over and whispered in my ear. And startling finds of science, allied with beautiful tools to spawn a plethora of pleasures, as I sucked the very pith of such sweet reveries, and you appear to make these splendors meager by compare. Woman, stop with the exclamations of lust over the stench of death. It's unseemly. I stood and stretched out the kinks, heading outside to light my stogie. Much as I hate to admit it, and I'd never admit it to her. The cringe-worthy stuff that drips like honey from her possibly forked tongue inspires that same gut burn I usually have right before I guzzle antacid straight from the bottle. Stuff like that isn't supposed to come from a mouth that I now know is glossed with peach-flavored tint. How are you supposed to ignore someone when you know they taste like your favorite fruit? How do you erase that kind of assault from your sensory processing center? I'd been minding my own business, trying to track down a lead, something I remembered from an old case file. And there she was in the doorway of my office, holding a pizza out in one hand and a new bottle of scotch in the other. As the buttons of her blouse strained against the maneuver, I knew was not inadvertent. Opening that second bottle hadn't helped matters. 
Before I had a chance to figure out what was happening, she'd straddled me in my office chair and commenced a slow grinding assault. Add to that the incessant nibbling on my ear, and the result was a perfect storm of unbridled tension that required immediate release. I shoved her off my lap and onto the floor at my feet, but that had done nothing to dissuade her. She popped up like a jack-in-the-box, her top three buttons popping at the same time. She leaned over me, her unencumbered and extremely burgeoning decolletage aligned hey, with my you. Are we done here? Carla asked, coming around to plant herself in front of me. Woman, I'm gonna get a cowbell for around your neck so you can't sneak up on me like that. I kicked a small rock from the gravel driveway and watched it skitter into the grass and come to rest at the base of a stake with a for sale sign on it. Vale Realty. I made a mental note to contact them. I backed up a few steps and took a long tug on my cigar blowing the smoke into the empty space between us, hoping it would act as a buffer. Carla moved through the haze with the steely smile I'd expect Medusa to be wearing just prior to turning someone into stone and dry-humping them into a pile of dust. <sighs> For the moment, we too must be twain. But your moment is almost up, detective. Carlo walked to my sedan, sliding in with all the grace of a predatory cat about to make a meal out of something, namely me. Don't do that crap in front of people. What crap? Carla does faux innocent real well. Most of what Carla does comes off as enticing. I'm still trying to decide if that's because those light green eyes and the smattering of freckles garnishing her otherwise average features accompany some mystery about her past, or if I'm looking at her like a fifth of scotch at the end of a long dry spell. Probably a little of both. The immediate drone of the air conditioner caused the car to stall. I scowled at Carla and clicked off the AC. What have I told you? The AC has to be turned on after the car has started. You drove over here. You left it on. I reminded her as I restarted the car and tapped the gas pedal lightly. Then once more. It's a process. My car is a chocolate brown 67 Plymouth Fury with white leather interior. Only 240 some odd miles on it. And I hope to put on at least that many more. As I backed out of the driveway, a local news van slid in behind another police cruiser. Carla pulled a notepad from her purse and removed a pencil from the spiral. So, what do we think? That Deckard guy have something to do with it? We don't think anything. There's no we where we're concerned, Carla. And there never will be. She turned to stare out the window and smiled, twirling a lock of hair around her finger in a way that females do, in the hopes of looking like they're doing it absently, casually, without intent. In my experience, that's almost never the case, unless the female in question is under the age of 10 
and has yet to be marred by the complexities of the dance. Carla's the kind of gal who likes to dance, but sometimes the two steps she's doing feels like a way to keep what's lurking on the sidelines a dizzying blur of color and sound so she doesn't have to look at it too close. Aside from the red hair and the chameleon-like eyes known worldwide for adapting to mood, weather, temperature, lighting, and probable hormonal imbalance, Carla's one of those it's-written-all-over-her-face kind of gals. I'm guessing she's horrible at poker. Expressive is the word that comes to mind. She doesn't seem to have an internal edit button. You know, that thing that keeps the average person from dropping the F-bomb at a PTA function. Or the Vatican. A few months before we found the girl, Carla started following me around night and day, and I had no idea why. Suddenly, she was there. Wherever I happened to be, buzzing around overhead like a bloated fly at a picnic, ready to land as soon as someone peeled the lids off the Tupperware and sliced the watermelon. The day I became the melon in question, I found myself unable to locate my car after an unfortunate early drinking binge that, I should note, was precipitated by the nuisance of being stalked by a crazy woman. I remember standing on a sidewalk, fumbling with my cell phone. Carla had been following me, but I'd lost her somewhere along the way. I picture her scanning the street, looking for signs, not sure where she's at, and realizing that following me to the bar in a cab had been her first mistake. She must have known I'd spot her red Honda. She'd caught up with me at a bar, but her second mistake was scooting out of the dark booth in the back to hit the ladies' room. I took the opportunity to escape, with no destination in mind, but little desire to come face to face with her. I must have walked a long time. Somehow I got screwed up. We're on the corner of Linwood and West Davidson. Look, lady, I don't have all day. I'm on my lunch break. Some guy was standing in front of me holding a fast food bag and talking into my cell phone. I listened to his end of the conversation, enjoying his irritation. I felt for him. Carla was on the other end of that line because I somehow managed to find the phone number she'd programmed into my cell the first night we met. I have a thing for redheads, so when she wandered into the meanwhile, my regular haunt, and paused near the door, her face illuminated by the red neon light filtering in through the window, I admit to giving her the once-over. At the time, I thought she caught me staring at her, and that's why she took the stool beside me and dispensed with idle chit-chat while nursing a rolling rock. That should have been the first clue. Idle chit-chat is for people who have nothing to say, or people who have an ulterior motive. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see Muggs, the bartender, slowly wiping an already spotless glass with a towel and watching me with a mix of amusement and pity. I suppose that's why I gave her my number, to give Muggs a little jab. But that was before I realized there was a possibility she was an escaped mental patient or in the witness protection program. The guy holding my cell phone continued. Last time I checked, Dementia didn't smell like a brewery, and your dad didn't have me call you. He was trying to dial a number, 
fell into the bushes, climbed out, dropped the phone, and then sat down on the curb. I swear, it was like watching one of the Stooges rehearse. He was talking to the birds, man, yelling at the damn birds. He must have forgot about the phone. I saw the whole thing from inside, so I came out, picked up his phone, and heard your voice. His pacing back and forth was making me nauseous. Where are you? Uh. I closed my eyes and took deep breaths, suddenly getting the dead reference. Nausea and irritation aren't happy bedfellows, so I decided a little instigation was in order. You're a couple blocks south of us. I'm Henry the Eighth, I am. Oh Christ, he's singing. Henry the Eighth, I am, I am. The man stopped abruptly and turned to face me. Dude, shut up, I can't hear. Then he turned his back to me and continued. We're outside the KFC on West Davidson. The guy stopped pacing and turned around to gain his directional bearings as he paused to listen. Stay on the sidewalk. Take a right. You'll pass that bookstore and then, uh, cross over at the light and you'll see us. Having been properly chastised, I thought about stretching out in the grassy area next to the drive-thru. It seemed a viable option. But I decided the required movement might slosh around the contents of my stomach in a way that would turn the tide on the nausea situation. Yeah, that's it. When you get to that intersection, don't cross. Just take a right. We're on the left, a ways down. The stranger looked in the direction he must have presumed Carla would be coming. Sure enough, she appeared, huffing toward us from a block away. The stranger closed the phone when he saw her way. Carla stepped up her pace to a trot and dropped her phone into the purse hanging from her shoulder. She was breathing hard as she came to a stop in front of us. She stared down at me as she dug in her purse and pulled out a hair clip, twisted the hair off her neck with one hand in a maneuver that looked like she'd executed it a thousand times, then fastened the teeth of the clip around the knot of hair. Hey, Dad. Dead my ass, Buttercup. <clears throat> Sorry. I guess I thought Demented Dad might play better than that idiot I'm trying to get into bed with beyond all possible reason and common sense. I found it hard to believe that was her actual intent and it looked like the stranger was having trouble processing it too. He handed Carla my cell phone, staring from her to me. The visual must have been ludicrous. At 58, I'm 15 years her senior. My grizzled features make me look older than my years, while her short stature and plain face make her look younger than hers. She could easily pass for my daughter, which was exactly what the stranger was thinking, based on the way the combination of concern and skepticism wrinkled the corner of his eyes and brow. We're okay here, so you can get back to doing whatever it was that you were doing. Thank you, by the way. I appreciate it. Carla smiled to assure the guy. We'll be fine. The stranger continued to appraise the situation, but ultimately took about 15 more seconds to decide that his concern for his fellow man did not prevail over his desire to get the hell out of there before he found himself roped into dragging the drunk and his sidekick wherever they needed to be dragged. As he walked away, Carla sat down next to me on the curb and watched me struggle with my tattered pack of Swisher Sweets. I finally fingered one out and managed to get it between my lips, but after a couple of vain attempts I gave up trying to light it. 
I stared up at the sky and began to ponder the meaning of life with regard to convection appliances. I believe I do some of my best thinking when in a state of inebriation just shy of a blackout. But I have no facts to back this up. The schematics for every life-altering truth I've ever envisioned in said state remain a mystery to me once sober. Carla gently took the lighter from my hand, ignited it, and held it in front of my face. I bent over until the tip of the cigar met the flame and puffed a few times. When my hair fell forward, close to the ignited lighter, she used her free hand to tuck it behind my ear. I unconsciously jerked away. Carla's bemused expression told me I'd revealed something about myself that wasn't meant to be shared, and I hated myself for it. It's one of the pitfalls of not being fully in control of your faculties. The body knows itself better than the conscious mind does, and it's apt to inadvertently give away little pieces of you when your guard is down. Carla slid her finger off the wheel and casually popped the lighter back into my shirt pocket. So, Morno is walking an option? Or are we going to be here for a while? I brought my Kindle. I can read a couple chapters. She appraised me with those doe eyes surrounded by impossibly long lashes. I had to look away, obfuscate and redirect before things got weird. I wobbled to my feet and stumbled away from the curb, dropping my smoke. Sure, walking's an option, but it'll have to wait until after I see the puking option through to its finale. Carla hip-checked me toward a waist-high shrub where I emptied my stomach in full view of the diners enjoying their kernels extra crispy. I felt Carla gripping my shirt so I wouldn't topple over as I heaved a ghastly refrain, which culminated in the sound of liquid splattering on the ground behind the bushes. Dial back the charm, detective. I'm getting all wet and juicy down there listening to you heave up your liquid lunch. The casual tone irritated me to no end. Her seeing me like that pissed me off, but her matter-of-fact behavior, like she wasn't disgusted, that pissed me off more. It told me something about her that I didn't particularly like, or liked too much. She let go of my shirt, but I could feel her hand hovering near the small of my back. I gruffly wiped my arm across my mouth. Tell me why you're doing this. Hell, I don't know. Ask me tomorrow, when the scent of vomit is not still wafting in the air around us. I'm afraid any answer I gave you right now would be a little jaded. I turned to look down at her, employing more effort than should have been necessary to retain my balance. She was a good foot shorter than me, and I had the sudden urge to bust her head like you do with a new shelter puppy who's just peed on your carpet. There had to be something profoundly wrong with this woman for her to be here right now. That's what I was thinking. We exchanged sideways glances during the long walk back to where my car was parked, on the street, directly across from the meanwhile. It was an ugly side of town, having succumbed to the ravages of an economy under siege, and a constituency that had lost the will to fight for anything other than their next meal. A city in a state of rigor mortis. When I pulled the keys out, and tried to ascertain which one might open the car door. Carla snatched them out of my hands with a sigh. Morno, just see if you can find your way around the passenger side without getting lost on the way. She unlocked the car, slid into the driver's seat, clicked my door unlocked, and put the key into the ignition. 
Easy. Tap the gas a couple times. Give her a minute to idle before you pester her into submission. We were about 12 blocks from my apartment building, and I didn't have to give her directions. You're a shitty stalker. I made you the second you walked in. No way. You were in the men's room taking your third pee. Okay, let me rephrase. I smelled you the second I exited the John. Your perfumey cloud precedes you by a mile. You're like pig pit, but more flowery. Your sense of smell is off, detective. I'm wearing vanilla musk. I'd expect a pulp hack like you to be better at coming up with accurate adjectives. My head snapped in her direction. Probably the fastest move I'd made all day. I could see she was holding her breath, waiting for some sort of response. But I'd be damned if I was going to give her one. She pulled to a stop in front of my apartment building, a morbidly dilapidated affair in an area of Detroit that most people fled as soon as they could. I felt the miserable milieu harmonize with my general outlook on life. I believe hope is best served when diluted with a healthy dose of cynical pragmatism. After Motor City crumbled and the car manufacturing contingent got the hell out of Dodge, property values plummeted. Crime was up, prospects were grim, but prices were low. I got a deal on my office and apartment, just over a mile apart on Dexter Avenue. The meanwhile is about midway between them. Everything I need within the span of 15 blocks. I moved from curbed Detroit without ever looking back. Carlo walked around the front of the car and opened the passenger door. I eyed her for a minute, scanning down from her face to her high heels. They were a shade probably called camel or caramel. Who the hell knows? They were in the brown family. Anyway, they were pretty high. And I found myself remembering how she'd run in them down the street toward me and the stranger talking on my cell phone. I think there might be something to fear about a woman who can run in heels like that. You done window shopping or you need a minute? You're really starting to piss me off. Yeah, it's a gift. I clambered out of the car with less agility than determination. in front of the apartment door with my back to her and my upturned palm held out she handed me the keys I guess I'll leave you to it then unless you feel like talking when I didn't answer she turned to head down the stairs just as my across the hall neighbor peeked out Trudy is not the hooker with the heart of gold she's the emaciated hooker with a meth addiction twitchy, sallow skinned and greasy haired with arms covered in sores that are usually bleeding. I think she generally goes for about 20 bucks a pop, but she once told me she took five for her oral services when she was out of tang. Trudy languished against her doorframe and scratched an elbow, eyeing Carla as she slowly descended the stairs. What's up, Daddy? 
Hot water still on the fritz. I already told the soup. Trudy disappeared behind her door, and I heard the deadbolt engage as Carla's head disappeared from view. I could hear her steps as she made her way down the second floor stairwell. I turned around and leaned to look down at her. Hey! She looked up expectantly. My stomach rolled. I don't like people expecting anything from me. Expectation always leads to disappointment. How are you getting home? She held up a key ring with one of those canisters attached. A good stalker always plans ahead. A good stalker would be wearing sensible footwear. <laughs>